Our New Testament lesson this morning is from Galatians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. Hear now this word from the Lord. May I never boast of anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is anything, but the new creation is everything. As for those who follow this rule, peace be upon them, and mercy. From now on, let no one make trouble for me, for I carry the marks of Jesus branded on my body. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. This is the word of God for the people of God. This feels a little bit like a Sunday that I should just like let the music speak for itself, but I wrote something, so I'm going to preach anyway. Uh, For the last six weeks or so, our weekly book study has been trying to do something a little different. Uh, Since our inception, we've read some, some pretty excellent books that have engaged us. We haven't been in love with every author, and we haven't agreed with every point, but for the most part, they've, they've spoken our language. We were the intended audience. The authors have written from a at least slightly left-of-center progressive mindset that lar- largely holds the same truths as our group. These books have led us into thoughtful and sometimes challenging discussions, and it was working for us, and so obviously I had to change it up. Uh, so rather than continue to read uh, folks that we largely agreed with, we, we ventured out. We read articles by six authors and figures from the evangelical church community, and I chose names that, while they weren't known by many people in book study, they're, they're big names in the more conservative realm of Christianity. They were men and women who believe in a complementarian approach to gender and traditional marriage, uh, didn't particularly affirm women in leadership, uh, and probably voted differently than many in our group. They were people that I would like struggle to be in the same room with, let alone engage in conversation with. But every week we, when we began, I reminded the group, and mostly myself, that this wasn't meant to be an opportunity to feel good about how smart or forward-thinking we are or to take shots at the other side, but rather an exercise in trying to find common ground. Uh, to find some common humanity with people we feel fundamentally opposed to. It was not always fun, and it was not particularly easy, and sometimes uh, members of book study had to hold me and my bad attitude accountable. Um, But the work felt important, because if we as a church, as a body of believers, cannot or refuse to find some sliver of common ground with other people who profess faith in Jesus, then this gap between us will only continue to grow. Now, division in the church is not new. Uh, we have seen practice and theology and participants split the church back for generations, and Galatians has the same problem. Paul is writing to a community that is divided. The first church, no matter where it was, had to discern what it meant to be a church. How do they faithfully follow the way of Jesus now that Jesus is no longer among them? 
Uh, and the Galatian church is no different. The, Paul spends six chapters extolling the Galatians to, you know, put aside their differences, to let go of the former things so that they could be united in the body of Christ. The issue facing the Galatians is one of practice. What must one do to be a Christ follower? For the Jewish Christians, it means following the Torah and participating in the rituals that they always have done. There are leaders in this community that are asking Gentile believers, so non-Jewish believers, to essentially become practicing Jews in order to be members of the Christian community, to hold, their, hold the same standards as their Jewish siblings. But I don't, I don't want to spend a ton of time focusing on the details of the us versus them problem. For one, because I think that some interpreters use this passage to minimize or outright demonize Jewish practice. It suggests to some that circumcision, that following the law, that being Jewish is old, outdated, contrary to the gospel. Um, it is clearly a problematic interpretation. And I also don't think that it is particularly faithful to Paul's message to the Galatians, because the specifics of the problem don't matter, and Paul says as much, right? He says, for neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything at all. As for those who follow this rule, peace be upon them. You want to follow this tradition? Participate in this ritual? Go for it. Peace be with you. You're not going to do it? Great. Peace be with you too. The practice or lack thereof of circumcision means nothing. The whole of Galatians is essentially an argument against circumcision and against the law, only for Paul to conclude that none of it matters. At the end of the day, all of the ritual and tradition and argument, all of that doesn't matter. All that does matter is the new creation. A new creation is everything. And while Paul asserts that the practices that are causing division are of little consequence, the division itself is a real problem. And perhaps that's an obvious thing. Of course, division is a real problem. The problems and reason for division may have changed, but we can always fall prey to this Galatian problem. Any community or system has to navigate what it means to be individuals with unique identities and baggage and come together into one united body. One commentator put it this way, under stress, any family system, churches included, may resort to infighting and engage in behavior based on difference including the regula regula regulation of those who are different to the status of other. The Galatian church is suffering from a very human problem. Um, or to put it another way, uh, as theologian A.J. Conyers said, all religion and every practice of religion, and in fact all of human life, is in danger of being marshaled into the service of the human ego. We have, many of us, been in situations where we were missing something. Some mark, some belief, some quality, some whatever that kept us from being insiders. Perhaps we didn't have enough money or we disagreed with the power players or we went to the wrong college or we're not, we were attracted to the wrong gender. We know what it feels like to not measure up or to not fit in. We know that that is painful and it makes us question the value of ourselves and the value of the group that we were trying to join in the first place. I imagine that was true for the uncircumcision Galatians. It would have hurt to be told that the person they were was not good enough. 
You want to follow Jesus with us? Well, you better shape up because who you are right now is not enough. I wish we could say that the church has grown out of that kind of behavior. But I think that we can also empathize with the circumcision advocates as well. Imagine being told that the tradition, the ritual, the thing that has made you feel connected to your faith community is no longer, one, no longer necessary, and two, a stumbling block for the new people. Hey guys, this huge part of your identity that you've believed in your whole life, knock it off. It's actually super problematic and change it immediately, and if you don't, well then you're not really a Christian. Imagine how frustrating and upsetting it would be to have generations of tradition and belief attacked and thrown out in a way that feels sudden. But we never do that in the church now, right? We never tell people that they've had it wrong and that their entire belief system or tradition is incorrect. And we never choose to not walk alongside them and engage them in meaningful conversation and choose instead to call them backwards or bigots or just plain stupid. We don't, we don't do that. So no wonder, no wonder the Galatian church is fighting. No wonder each group is on the defense. This stuff is hurtful, and it digs right at this human desire to be understood and to belong. And Paul is attempting to call the church that he helped establish back from the abyss of division. So of course, Paul concludes his letter by saying, the practice you choose doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter more than who we are in Christ, this new creation. And we see language of new creation in other letters of the New Testament. Paul understands the work of Jesus uh, as a remaking of the world. Jesus' death and resurrection has sparked something new, opened some new pathway, created a transformation. I mean, quite genuinely, everything Jesus has been taught and done has sort of turned the world upside down. The way that things have always worked no longer apply, or at least are no longer the most important. You know, the last shall be first, and the first shall be last, he says. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Even before he was born, his mother aligned Jesus with the work of bringing the powerful down from their thrones and lifting up the lowly. And then, of course, in Jesus, dead things come back to life. That, I think, is what it means to be a new creation, to be transformed by the remaking of the world and to align ourselves with the one who lifts up the lowly and calls us to care for others and is himself willing to follow that calling to his death. When we have been presented with something so world-changing, so upending, we ourselves are then called to something new that transcends all of the earthly things that might divide us. This is Paul's solution for a divided community, to release ourselves from the stranglehold that these divisions have on us and to live into a new our new identity as a new creation. Paul writes in verse 14, May I never boast of anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now, as Pastor Amanda said, boast seems like a strange word to use in this context. We don't particularly like boasters, people who feel the need to brag or flaunt their accomplishments. And boasting in the cross feels a little counterintuitive, as it was the tool of the state to execute Jesus. 
the word in Greek is akin to like rejoice or glory in, and I'm not sure that entirely helps matters. But, I, but what I want to suggest is that in his boasting, Paul is making a claim or stating an intention to hold the cross and what it represents at the center of his existence. If he follows anything, if he has allegiance to anything, if he tells others about anything, if one single thing shapes his life, may it be this. May it be the cross. In boasting in the cross alone, Paul is proclaiming that he finds his truest and highest identity in the crucified Christ and the new creation that follows. I think that for Paul, boasting in the cross means aligning himself with the things that Jesus and his death and resurrection represent, with deep, unconditional, sacrificial love, with humility, with an active care and concern for people in need, the sick, the hungry, the poor, the imprisoned, with a voice that confronts oppressive and exploitative powers and principalities, with doing good. If that thing is at the center of Paul's being, the center of his identity, then all of the other things, the things that he could boast about instead, falls away and unity becomes more possible. It is really easy for us to qualify our faith with, with additional identifiers, right? Well, I'm this kind of Christian, or I go to this kind of church, or at least I don't believe that. And when we do so, we allow these barriers that divide us to creep back in. So we have to, we have to stop ourselves from saying, like, does, does your experience mirror mine? Or have you been born again? Or um, you better give away all that you possess. Or uh, you have to vote this way. Or you have to believe everything you hear on Fox News and nothing that you believe, or nothing that you hear on NPR. It's tempting to make our experience of God, of God and God's truth, the experience of God and God's truth. And that then only gives us an excuse to create our own markers, right, of who is in and who is out. But boasting in the cross, being a new creation, means that we are committed to something bigger than all of the ways that we are different. It means that our differences don't give us a cause for exclusion. It means that our differences don't have to stop us from working together for something good. It means that a new way is possible. Last week, two weeks ago, on Ash Wednesday, uh, Pastor Katie reminded us that a true Lenten fast seeks to break down the barriers that keep us from God and one another. She reminded us that while we can certainly give up our, our favorite drink or snack or whatever, and perhaps those things will make us feel more pious or more grateful, is not the deeper work, the more kingdom-focused work in letting go of all of the things that would keep us apart. Perhaps the most th Lenten thing we can do is to rid ourselves of the thing that feed our us-and-them mentality. Perhaps our journey to the cross is meant to be one that examines, that really digs into those things that we hold more dearly than unity. Those things that we use to feel smarter, more evolved, more effective than someone else. Now, unity does not mean the same, or it doesn't mean that we all think alike, or that we always agree on everything, but rather, unity says that we have decided that love of God and love of neighbor is more important. You know, Jesus says, to love our neighbor. 
He says to love them, not to control them or demean them uh, or to try to change them or to exclude them. I think sometimes and too often, perhaps, we take love to mean taking our understanding of the Bible and theology and Jesus to, to war against enemies instead of liberate others with our friends. Boasting in the cross of Christ believes that there is this better way, a religion that transcends boundaries, a religion moved and motivated by compassion for the other as a beloved child of God, deserving of love and care and acceptance, freedom, security, full life. Goodness, according to this religion, is having compassion for the other, doing what is helpful, never tiring of doing what is right, and always working for the good. I mean, Churches are perhaps the one place where doing good is kind of like the essence of our project. Now, I know that there are people from whom we are different and with whom we disagree uh, that believe in and then act upon some pretty ugly and harmful stuff. And I am not suggesting that in allowing those barriers to come down, we just stand by and let injustice run wild. Um, But what I am suggesting is that in boasting in the cross in aligning ourselves with the cross, we stop seeing the people we disagree with as our enemies, and rather we turn our attention to the beliefs and behaviors and systems that create injustice, that harm and oppress. Perhaps when we stop trying to prove that we have it all right or that we're doing it the right way and that they're doing it wrong, we can affect change in the name of the crucified and risen Christ. Paul closes his letter telling his readers that he bears the marks of Jesus. He carries them branded on his body. And perhaps, like the cross before our pulpit this morning, when we boast in the cross of Christ, when our belief is manifested outwardly, we start to shine forth something more, something more divine, like the gold that is bursting out of the bark, the sacrificial love of Christ the hope of the kingdom of God, the possibility for transformation becomes more visible in the world. It is my hope that as we continue this journey through Lent, we will seek to bear those marks of Christ in an increasingly divided world, that we will allow the transformative power of the cross to break through us so that we may not just see one another more clearly, but also our call to be enactors of change and truth and love. Amen.